Unless you're asleep, you realize that this week, former President Donald Trump was indicted for the third time. He pled guilty to charges in federal court in Washington, D.C., and this set of facts uh, it concerns his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. With us to discuss one of the most accomplished attorneys here in the United States is Thomas Durkin. He is of the husband and wife firm of Durkin and Roberts. He has a distinguished 50-year career. He served as second-in-command uh, to the U.S. Attorney's Office here in the Chicago area, where he handled hot white-collar fraud and political corruption cases. He's probably best known for his pro bono representation of several detainees uh, in Guantanamo Bay. He has won awards and teaches and speaks and uh, is just a fine, fine attorney. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Karen. Always nice to talk to you. So let's get right to it. I think, uh, you know, we've we've heard a lot about the allegations, but I'm sure you looked at the indictment. It's a 45-page indictment. Can you kind of highlight some of the facts that you find to be very relevant and very important in the uh, charges that were brought against Donald Trump? Well, I, I think the most important thing to point out is, is what charges weren't brought, um, It's a very cleverly drafted indictment. Um, It's designed to avoid a lot of problems, um, particularly uh, avoiding the sedition uh, charge, for one of a better term, uh, I think was a very smart move on Smith Park. Um, Essentially, he's laid out um, three conspiracy charges, and he's also uh, brought in a, a charge under the Civil Rights Act, um, all of which only requires him to prove the, a criminal agreement and not that every one of the facts is false. And there's a there's number of facts laid out, like this false elector scheme, the uh, calling the Georgia uh, party, uh, the attorney general, or I think it was the secretary of state at asking him to get a thousand votes. There's, there's any number of those facts, um, but in a conspiracy, they don't have to prove every one of them. They just have to prove the agreement. So it's an interesting charge, and I think it's a, it's a very clever charge. So the idea of, and we, there was a lot of uh, talk about January 6th, that there was some idea that Donald Trump's words uh, incited violence, and what he said brought people into Washington and resulted in the, the assault on the Capitol. But that that those facts aren't really, he, he, they didn't bring those charges, as you said. So are those facts, though, going to be part of it, even if they don't go exactly to the charges that are brought, or, or is the jury not going to hear about it? No, no, the jury will hear the facts, but the government's not going to have to prove each and every fact. And most importantly, with respect to the insurrection charge, um, they're not going to have to deal with the First Amendment issue of of whether he was simply exercising his right to the First Amendment or, or not in inciting the riot. He's not charged with inciting the riot. And I, I think that was uh, leaving that alone, I think, was a was a pretty good move on his part, because that opens up a lot of potential defenses that aren't particularly necessary for Smith. So and I have heard a lot of people say, well, he was talking. So he called the secretary of state in Georgia and said, hey, can we find some votes? Or he said to his lawyers, hey, what can we do about this? Can we have a false elector plan? So I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but when, 
and maybe minimizing it. But when does First Amendment, when does the right to say something, suggesting something being a good idea, morph into a crime that becomes a conspiracy to commit uh, a crime? Well, I, I think this is not my thought. There's a couple of good articles out there on, on that topic, but uh, somebody pointed out you you can have a you have a right to uh, seek redress of the government, but you don't have a right to blow up the federal building, or you ha- you have a right to um, uh, lie about being a, a military veteran to increase your status, but you can't lie to the Veterans Administration to get benefits. I mean. Uh, those are apples and oranges. And, but again, you have to keep in mind he's only charged with a conspiracy. Uh, so, you know, they're not, they're, there's, there's probably 60 or 70 different facts laid out in the indictment, but uh, Smith is not going to have to prove every one of those facts beyond a reasonable doubt. I, I think the best way to look at it is that those are that circumstantial evidence of his intent to join in the conspiracy. Let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to flesh this out a little bit, and I want to ask you some more questions about uh, gag orders and, and Donald Trump's speech uh, speech about these issues and and how um, you know how how much trouble can he be in from this judge? We're on listening to the Karen Conti show. We're here with Tom Durkin on WGN. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. We're here talking to Thomas Durkin. Tom uh, was a federal prosecutor, and he is a criminal defense attorney. You've been on both sides of this. Um, what do you make of that statement? The can you find eleven thousand or so votes? Is that in and of itself something that is a crime, or is it in conjunction with other facts that you think it then morphs into a possible crime? It could be a crime, um, but uh, standing alone. But he, Smith did not charge it that way. But I think it's very powerful evidence of his intent uh, to obstruct justice or or to deny the vote. And and how I I would assume that when you get a call from the president of the United States, you feel massive pressure to listen to him, right? I mean, it would be if I called and said that, no one would pay attention. But if you're the president of the United States and you do that, I would imagine that that exerts pressure on anybody who takes that call. Well, you would you would think so. Um, I mean, I've heard it suggested that he was exaggerating and he wasn't demanding; he was simply asking. Um. But uh, that gets him into a trick bag because then he has to take the witness stand to explain what he meant by that, which um, is, is always a very dangerous uh, thing to try to do, especially in light of all the allegations that they have out there to be able to cross-examine him. Tom, there are six unnamed co-conspirators. The press sort of concluded based upon the statements in the indictment and prior statements that were reported. Um, we expect that that's Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and Sidney Powell, who are all attorneys for Trump, a DOJ official, Jeffrey Clark, and an attorney, Kenneth Cheeseborough, and then a third, a sixth, which has not been named, that, I'm, that I know about. Tell me why would the federal government have not named the co-conspirators and why the government didn't name them in the indictment? 
Well, normally they would. I, I think it's uh, probably designed to get in, get in the trial quicker. Um, the more defendants you have, the more lawyers you have involved, the harder it is to get a case to trial. Um, there's no rule that says they have to be named in the specific indictment. They, they are identified. Um, the government will be able to introduce that proof. Uh, they are co-conspirators. So it's a, uh, a tactical move by do you think that the government is going to give some of these uh, unnamed co-conspirators immunity so that they will then have to testify without uh, taking the fifth? Is that Could that be part of the reason? And the, could, there, could there be some sort of immunity down the line? I suppose so, but I would be surprised if any of those five or six would get immunity. Um, I, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I see a, a bigger possibility that there is a much broader conspiracy that they could also be named in uh, involving the stop to steal. If you read carefully the subcommittee, uh, the House uh, subcommittee report on January 6th, it's laid out pretty well. And I think there's any number of people in addition to those six that could be charged in a much wider conspiracy with respect to uh, stopping the steal, and and I think they lay that out pretty, pretty clearly in the uh, committee report. Now, a lot of people are asking the question. You know, Trump is busy. He's got three cases against him pending. He's running for president. He's got a tight schedule for campaign uh, events. So, is the judge in? Is, can the judge take that into account in scheduling, uh, or is? Is it the priority of the court to move this case along? Well, I, I think that's those are things that have to be taken into account. I, I think it's going to be difficult to get in the trial before the election, uh, although it could happen. The, the Speedy Trial Act in the federal court uh, talks about you know, no continuances unless it, the court can find in the interest of justice that both the uh, it's in the interest of uh, a continuance outweighs the need of the uh, the interest of the public and the defendant. Uh, normally, that's not an issue because most defendants, 75% of the defendants in a federal court, are detained pretrial. So if the defendant asks for a continuance in a federal case, in most cases, they get continued because they're in custody. Um, and generally, there's not that big of an issue about the public's right, even for somebody out on bail. Uh, this case might be the real exception to that. I mean, I can't think of a greater public interest than having a president charged with uh, trying to, you know, obstruct the results of the election. Nope. Um, that, that that's not a crucial public interest, so, uh, although I don't think there's a lot of law on it, so I, I, I don't know that I, I would want to start weighing the odds on that. Typically speaking, I think it's going to be generally it's going to be hard to get him to trial before the election, although um, I think there's a good argument that he should be tried before the election. Can, I mean, can the judge say to herself, listen, I think there's a huge public interest in making sure that people know if he's guilty or not before the election. Could that, is that, is that a legitimate 
reason to push yes, the case? I, I was reading from the statute. That's what the statute says. It's a, it, in order to get a continuance, there has to be a finding that the granting of the continuance outweighs the interest of the public and the defendant. So, I mean, yes, I think the, the answer to that is, is certainly the judge can do that under the Federal Bail Reform Act. But whether she will or not is two separate things. I mean, typically speaking, you know, 15 months would not be a huge delay in a case like this. It's, you know, I I guess I, I look at some of the people that surrounded Donald Trump, and he had a lot of loyal, very loyal people surrounding him. Even in the Mar-a-Lago case, uh, his aide, uh, Walt Nada, was charged, and he seemed like a guy who was very loyal, and maybe even the property manager who was was allegedly responsible for destroying film uh, of, of the different documents, boxes of documents. What happens in cases like this? I'm sure you've you've tried cases where you have people who are loyal around the defendant. Do you think that the loyalty is going to stay there throughout these these trials that we're seeing, or do you think at some point the people surrounding him are going to say, "Listen, uh, I don't want to lose my livelihood. I don't want to use lose my family. I don't want to go to jail for life." And maybe I'm going to now turn and flip on Donald Trump uh, with the idea that now I'm just I've got to really fight for myself. Do you see that happening? I think more often than not, it comes down to the individual interest of the of the, of the people. Um, ironically, you see more of that loyalty in you know mafia cases or organized crime cases, or maybe a you know, serious drug case or gang case, but uh, that, you know, even suggesting that is, is kind of unusual in these cir- unusual circumstances. But I, I would certainly think that all of those people have to realize that if, if they all go down, they're going to prison for a fairly lengthy period of time. The federal sentencing guidelines are pretty harsh. In this, these circumstances, and they will be, they will get prison. So this is not going to be a probation case. So I, I wouldn't expect loyalty to uh, to reign here. And the the judge made some comments about not speaking to the other co-conspirators um, unless attorneys were involved. And I assume the point is you don't want. To, Donald Trump to be talking to any of these uh, potential witnesses or co-conspirators in order to try to put pressure on them to stay consistent with the defense. But are the attorneys allowed to get together and come up with some sort of lockstep defense in this case? Sure. Um, There's joint defense privileges. There's joint defense tactics all the time. Uh, But Trump is already pushing the envelope with this comedy made you come after me i'm coming after you uh, the government seeking a protective order i think going to get decided tomorrow or tuesday and uh you know in, in most cases he he would have been yanked into court right away although as i mentioned earlier in most cases he might be detained um you know as it, the federal bail statute is very harsh and like I said, 75% of the people are detained pretrial. 
So, so he says, uh, and I, I, I think, yeah, I, I wanted to address this. You know, if you go after me, I will go after you. He said, I think it was the day after he was arraigned, or maybe the same day. I'm not sure, but you know, the judge can't really like that comment, right? I mean that that's a pretty, it's no. a pretty, it's kind of threatening, isn't it? No, I don't have any questions about it, and that's what it's designed to do. Um, you know, he's threatened violence before. Um, I mean, that, that just would not be tolerated in any other situation. But I think that's where his office and former office and his status as a candidate gets gets him more benefits than any other defendant would get. Um, whether that's okay or not, I, you know, I suppose it is. But... Um, if he keeps it up, he will get detained. I mean, uh, the feds don't have a lot of problems locking people up pre-trial because they do. Have you ever had a client who just wouldn't listen to you, Tom, at all? <laughs> that I, I have this feeling that that Donald Trump, you know, he's he's uh, a person that that has he marches to his own beat. He does what he wants. Uh, I, my, my, my feeling is that if a lawyer is going to tell him to do something he doesn't want, he'll either won't listen to them or find a new lawyer. Um, he's, he's a difficult client, I would imagine. Have you had this experience? And, and how do you get through to somebody who's doing something that really is not in their best interests? Well, you only have that problem if you're an appointed lawyer. If you're, if you're a retained lawyer and the, and the, the fool doesn't want to listen to your advice, you withdraw. Um, that's that's really why Trump can't find any first-class lawyers, with all due respect to the people he has. Um, first of all, he doesn't pay lawyers. Every every lawyer worth his salt knows that Trump is cheap and uh, tries to beat lawyers out of fees. And secondly, everybody knows he doesn't. He's not looking for a lawyer. He's looking for a mouthpiece. Um, you know, there's a difference. He, he, he's, you're absolutely right. He's looking for somebody to do what he wants, which I think is where Eastman got himself in trouble. Uh, Eastman you know, is, a, is a lawyer of some repute, a clerk to Clarence Thomas in, in, in the Supreme Court. Um, I think he's Yale Law. I mean, but he came up with this ridiculous idea and uh you know now he's a co-conspirator uh, so and i i, I guess I, I don't think i don't think trump listens to lawyers no and you know and you know rudy giuliani john eastman Sidney powell um i assume that they could easily lose their law licenses by being co-conspirators i mean not you know that, that there's a lot at stake here for them is that fair to say i think I think the least of their worries is their law license. I, I think they're all going to prison. And, uh, Giuliani's a very sad case. Um, he was a highly regarded guy at one point in his career. Um, it, it's it's sad. I, I think, you know, just sad. I think it's a disgrace to the profession as to what's happened with some of these people. 
Yeah, I, I, it's hard to understand because I do remember, you know, he was he was a federal prosecutor. He was a very bright guy. He was a, a good mayor. He he was uh, did a good job after nine eleven. And it just I don't know if he he had some medical issues or it, if if the you know just being with Donald Trump sort of turned him into uh, you know. Uh, do it what he wants at any cost. I don't know exactly what it is, but but you're right. And he's already lost his license, I believe, in Washington. And uh, right. And I, and my guess is that it's it's gonna it's gonna happen. Uh, he's not gonna be able to practice law. But you're right. Uh, having not having your freedom is. Um, is, is the biggest problem. One, one final thing, Tom, and this we're kind of speculating, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds because it's really complicated. You sent me a really good article that I was interested in, but just generally speaking, would Donald Trump, if he were elected, would he be able to pardon himself? I think the short answer is most likely yes, although it wouldn't be pardoning himself. I think he, what most is that he would be able to install people, either the attorney general um, or uh, remove people from office. He could could remove the special prosecutor and he could get an attorney general to do his bidding and uh, the attorney general could then dismiss the charges. Interesting. And that that gets into a very complicated question of does the president have unfettered removal authority? He has the authority in many instances to appoint people. There's some question in the law, though it's very murky, about whether he can just as easily remove people. And But I think the more likely answer is yes, he could. Tom Durkin, thank you so much for joining us. Can you quickly give out your contact information if anyone wants to reach you? Uh, sure. It's T. Durkin at Durkin Roberts, all one word, dot com. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, have a good My rest. Of, have a good rest of your Sunday, Tom. Take care.